Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, and joining me from across the pond, you know him, you love him, he's the statesman to my kingsman, it's John's bu- John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty well, man. How's it going? No worry, pluraling your name there. Johns, how are you, Johns? <laughs> How's it going in Florida, man? Johns? Um... Florida is a nightmare. Uh, you know, things are, are crazy. Our our baseball team has probably uh, ended the baseball return. Um, baseball came back, I think, Friday. And 15 of the Florida Marlins, wow, um, 15 of the Florida Marlins players I just saw uh, have tested positive for COVID. Um, 15? So, 15. Uh, so, yeah, um, probably, and they've delayed their game through the weekend, but I would say, it might be the downfall of what baseball tried to do. Baseball tried to keep it business as usual with touring as far as mm-hmm. like going from city to city uh, where like the NBA is holed up in Orlando and they have very strict guidelines. Like a, a player left their compound and what he had to quarantine for 15 days uh, afterwards. Like that's, Good. they're being very strict, but still but it hasn't actually started. One arena now. Right. Yeah. Every, yeah. every team who's competing is in Orlando, Florida. That's right. Um, and so they're not going to be traveling and they have all these lockdown procedures and whatnot, but they haven't actually started playing yet. So we don't know how that'll hold up once they're actually interacting with each other. Um, in theory, if they have no virus, they should not get a virus, but it's, it only takes one person cheating the system or, you know, something getting by uh, to wreck that. But baseball not off to a good start uh, here in Florida, of course, making it all the, the more obvious that we're going to be the ones to ruin that too. Um, so uh not saying anything i'm staying i'm trying to stay healthy uh we're still pending openings of schools in about a month um mm-hmm. my birthday is in uh two fridays yep um so you know that's uh we'll see how that goes um not gonna have a party obviously but uh maybe get a cake um have a little cake because you know it's birthday yeah. but yeah how, how is it over there it's okay we, it, we are allowed out but we have to have masks on it's mandatory Four months into the lockdown and 40,000 deaths later, we now have to wear face masks. So, um, you know, better late than never, I guess. Um, so, yeah, other than that, buddy, it's all right. It's uh, it's not looking so bad. It's still strange. I know we said it ever, even back to the Bampocalypse days, which seems like an eternity ago now, but it's only a couple of it months does. ago. But <laughs> even then, it, I mean, it's, it still feels just as strange going into a supermarket or a grocery store. And seeing everybody, apart from a few idiots, everybody wearing these face masks, and because they've got the masks on, it's gone. It's like going back to the beginning of lockdown, where everything is like eerily quiet. It seems to be at like least face masks are restricting people from just talking. But as I say to the boss lady here, um, it's not. For, it won't be forever. And if it, we're told to do it, and it's for the it's for the best for everybody. Let's just crack on and do it. I just wish more people um, followed that fairly rudimentary bit of advice there, very easy bit of advice. And on sports, NHL's back. And in fact, right now, as I'm recording, the Pittsburgh Penguins are, are um, facing off against the Philadelphia Flyers. They're literally two minutes into the first uh, quarter, so I should be keeping wow. my eye on that uh, later on. But uh, as ever, 
We are pros on this show. We don't watch sports or any other films whilst we're doing the BAMP. We just talk about one film. So if you are new to the show, that is what we do. We speak about, generally, the big release of the week, if there is one in these times. Uh, and this week, uh, there is a big release. There a is. big, long release, in fact. So this week, John got his way. I didn't want to do it, but he kicking and screaming. He wanted to watch it. We are talking about The Kissing Booth 2. And uh, it's going to be spoiler-free. So if you haven't seen The Kissing Booth 2, well done. Uh, but if you haven't seen it and you want to find out more <laughs> about it, it is going to be a non-spoiler review. That's all we do on the main show of the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. So before we get into what we thought about it, what's it all about and who's in it? It's directed by uh, Vince Marcello, who returns from the first film. Uh, it's also written by Vince Marcello and J.S. Arnold. And it stars the trooper known as Joey King, Jacob Elordi, Joel Courtney, Carson White, uh, Maisie Richardson-Sellers, and the synopsis reads, In the sequel to 2018's The Kissing Booth, <laughs> high school senior Elle juggles a long-distance relationship with her dreamy boyfriend Noah, college applications, and a new friendship with a handsome classmate that could change everything. Um, as per that uh, first Kissing Booth film, this is a Netflix original. So it's on Netflix worldwide. So if you want to go and watch it, you haven't even got to get up and go out. You've got no excuse to feel the pain that we did. So um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I know how John feels and John knows how I feel. So I'm yeah. going to keep my initial synopsis very, um, short. And I'm also going to try my hardest to keep this PG as well. But this film is crap. I generally do think this film is awful. I didn't like the first Kissing Booth, and I and I am going to prefix this as well by saying this isn't a bandwagon review. Myself and John aren't do we're not doing this for the for the fun. We generally well, I generally didn't like this film. I think it's a really bad film, and I was hoping at least that this sequel would uh, give some justification for having for this sequel to exist. I was hoping that okay, the first one was bad, and I know this is based on a series of books. But the first one wasn't well received, and it was bad. So surely the second one is gonna is gonna improve it somewhat. No, it doesn't. I think in fact it's even worse. But um, before I go off on a tangent, John, just to confirm, you were a fan of this. Oh um, yes, I know. <laughs> I uh, this is the first time I think we've ever done this where we didn't keep our thoughts kind of quiet to each other because usually we don't go in knowing how the other person felt about the movie. Um, and we just couldn't, we couldn't contain our detest for this film. And, um, I didn't like the first one. Um, and in fact, it is currently my most read review on my site because people are, uh, I guess, you know, searching for kissing booth and they're like, Oh, he reviewed that. And yeah, um, I'm sure they're not happy with what they're reading. Um, here's the thing. And I think we said this even on the last episode, I like Joey Kane. She is a very good actress. Yes. She has taken some very bad movies and they seem to be happening frequently mm-hmm. now. Um, I I was excited for The Kissing Booth the first time because I like rom-coms. Yes, you do. And I like Joey King. So I was like, great, this should be awesome. Um, what I think after watching two of these movies, and uh, we'll get into why I said it that way in a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I think these need to be TV shows. Because they they run like poorly written sitcoms that are truncated into a two hour runtime, or uh, let's be real, two hours and ten minutes in this particular Far too film. Long. Um, th- there are, I counted eight different plot lines happening in this yep. movie. Um, and 
that's far too many for a two hour film. Um, especially because you might think, well, they're, I'm sure that they're not actually separate plot lines. They all must tie into one main plot line, right? They're subplots. They are, they are not. There might be a couple that you could qualify as a subplot, but most of them have, have the ability to have been fleshed out, but they're yeah. not. Uh, most of them come and go. And again, they feel like almost episodic moments that should just be a TV series, especially since Netflix excels at TV series. That's where most of their great stuff is in their, their shows. And they've had a few successful films. I don't know how many of their successful films were actually made for Netflix versus were made. And then Netflix bought or, or like with the Irishman Scorsese was pitching that around and was just looking for someone to, fund the movie it wasn't like netflix had the idea for the irishman um so i don't know how many netflix original films really qualify as a netflix original concept from beginning to end but their their series seemed to have been like that so this feels like maybe if you turn this into a recurring show it's not as it doesn't feel so bloated or so uh unfocused um that the movie does because that's everything wrong with it and that's okay that's a lot that is not everything wrong with it there is a lot that i will nitpick um what we we point out joey king being talented right um we, we've mentioned on the show before that uh i certainly banged the drum for joey king i don't know if that's now out of just pity because i she she clearly is a, a talented actress how far she can rise in the ranks of the hollywood hierarchy who knows but she certainly isn't doing herself any favor and our agent must be laughing all the way to the bank because the majority of the roles, because she has been in some films which are actually half decent, decent films, but the majority of the roles mm-hmm. she picks, she is let down either by the character just being horrendous, like in The Kissing mm-hmm. Booth 2, or the writing is diabolical. So it doesn't matter who's in that role, you're on a hiding to nothing. So yes, we do bang the drum for Joey King, but I'm not sure if she's banging the drum for herself. True, true. But what I uh to get, go into that, well, I think she still has talent, even if the character is not good and whatnot. Some of the other people in this movie are not very good, <laughs> and the 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 big one, I I don't. The women seem to love him, but as far as performance, Jacob El Elordi Elordi that makes more sense. Uh, who plays the love interest Noah? is not a good actor in this movie. Now, I don't know if maybe that's how he's being told to perform. (laughs) um, If that's just the characters written to be so bland and unappealing, but he was a major problem in the first movie, but I felt more the character because they made his character a violent, angry guy who is on his way to play football in college. What college you ask? Oh, of course. And I have two major problems with that is one, they never ever give you any hint that he's intelligent enough to go to Harvard. (laughs) Like they don't, they don't give you anything to say that this guy who keeps getting suspended. And that's what, what world would Harvard bring in a guy who is notoriously being arrested and kicked out of school for fighting? Like that, that's, I understand the suspension of disbelief, but there is a breaking point and that is it like that. I do not buy that. He gets into Harvard and that that's a continuation in this movie that he's at Harvard. I'm like, Nope, don't believe it for a second. In Beth Recall's world, she's the author uh, of these books. That's a thing that happens quite often. Apparently. Yeah. I don't, man, 
Um, you know, I'm watching Gilmore Girls, and the uh, Ivy League is a major mm-hmm. part of the Gilmore Girls like mythos, and uh, it just confirmed my belief so much that there is no <laughs> chance that this guy's there. You know, Mm-mm. no, and I mean Harvard plays into the film a lot in this, but that I mean everybody in this film is to me almost everyone is unlikable, but it's because of the actions they take are just ridiculous. Like Elle is an absolute douchebag in this, as is her. Best buddy Lee, uh, Joel Courtney's character, yeah. um, and Ellie yeah. is to me in this film. She's an unlikable, hypocritical lead because there are many things that happen where she's, "What's going on? My life is awful." And then the next scene, she's doing exactly the same thing with no irony or pretends. And it's like, I'm looking, sitting there thinking, "Yeah, but you've just said you've just had a breakdown about that, but you're not doing it as some kind of like teen revenge angsty thing. You're just doing it because nope. that's what you want to do, and it just." Again, I've got to keep. I've got to calm and keep this PG. It really wound me up. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of storylines, but there's no development for any of the characters within those storylines. But I don't think. I don't think anyone goes anywhere. It's far too long. Like we mentioned, you could easily trim a a tidy half an hour off this film. For me, you could really knock this down. It wouldn't make it a better film. It just might make it more palatable. Because the things that don't work wouldn't be quite so stretched out and elongated. Um, and just like I said about the, the dialogue, it, this is has got Fifty Shades syndrome for me. In fact, in the fact that it's badly written and badly acted, and people say things that you wouldn't say in real life. Lots of the characters just say these inspirational quotes and just pass them off as things that people would oh. say in everyday conversation. And you know, they, they, every scene would have somebody put uh, reeling off this. A mystical bit of quotation and then it would be as a, a, a close-up on the uh, the character who's hearing it and their face would be like oh like it's an epiphany moment like something's just gone off on their head and i'm thinking nobody talks like that other than those um the, the framed uh pictures you get with the inspirational quotes on which are in offices and that um there's a there's a british woman who's back in again it's not um Maisie richardson sellers but she's got a really nauseating voice over the tannoy that annoyed me the, the guitars are just using this as a as absolute okay as girl magnet. I mean, I play a guitar, and I've never had anyone foaming at the mouth like that. And <laughs> oh, I don't know. Lee's car is awesome. He's got a GT three fifty. I don't know anything about cars, but it looks awesome. I really like Lee's car in this. They play at one point. Build me up, Buttercup plays. Love it because I had a little sing along to myself, and it remind and it took me out of the film, which in this instance was really quite good. Um, but I know that you had an uh, an issue as I did with um, the the DDR, the, a lot of the, the dance scenes and how much the movie revolved around dance machines. I I wouldn't have had a problem with it if that were the plot, you know. But it's it's this weird like subplot, but plot. It's because it's like it brings in one of the relationship arcs, and then it it is like if the movie actually set up the stakes of like like there's money at stake and we're told why that's important but it never feels like it's really important it's just this thing and it's like wait a minute hold on her entire future was in in like hiatus basically until she finally thought to ask a question and then it was like oh i guess i better figure something out hey i know I'll enter this video game dance contest and that will be my solution to paying for my college for, for a um, Harvard uh, tuition fee as well, which I imagine is quite expensive. Yeah. Way more. 
Yeah, and uh, and they never discuss the fact that it's going to be split, presumably by That's two people, shot, right? Like, which just makes it even more unlikely. Um, there are uh, right, and or is she just going to keep it all because <laughs> that's you know what I mean like um, it wouldn't put it past mind you because she's clearly selfish in the, yeah. in the character, but uh, it, it is like you could if you focus in and that's the thing and you make this movie like dodgeball but with DDR, yeah, yeah. cool. Make that the focus though, not just this weird like side thing where we get very kind of boring montages. Like there have been some amazing ddr sequences in film like even grandma's boy mm-hmm. nick schwartzen has one of my favorite little moments in that movie is him on that machine and afterwards getting the high score and being like what's high score did i break it you know like i love that scene it's possible to make that engaging and, and again it doesn't need to be two hours hour and a half long movie you know kid enters the, like start that off first 15 minutes we find out that this is their goal this is what they've been working for you know traditional mm-hmm. screenwriting basically is what i'm calling for here um the the sequence I do want to talk about, and it's not a spoiler because it has no plot point, but it, I think it kind of sets up how cheesy, campy, and badly written the film is. And it's I don't even remember the setup. It feels like it came out of nowhere, so I might have either blacked out for a second or I'm right and it came out of nowhere. But a girl with a bunch of face piercings is showing Elle a video of a guy uh-huh, working yep. out. And then she goes into a like five minute improv bit where she just keeps making jokes about how hot the guy is mm-hmm. for various reasons. Basically, in the old days, it would have been a guy talking about a girl. I'm willing to let that oh, go. Yeah, that, that wasn't the problem. It's, yeah. it's, it's no, it's one her nothing about her character in any point says she's a, a stand up comic that would do a root like she's literally like roasting the, the screen like over minutes. and over. Right. And she's actually, I, w- I won't say she's bad at riffing. Like, it, it feels like she's very believable in the, the process. Not that the character should be, mind you. That's where it makes no sense. But also that there's the side part of this is that she's being broadcast on the intercom system <laughs> at school. So then we get to cross cut oh. with Lee. Who feels like he's going to save Elle. It makes no sense that he reacts the way he does. Because one, no one knows who she's talking about for most of it, from what I gathered, right? Like, they realize it later. But, like, most of what she's saying, they can't see the video. So they have no clue what the, you know, the the comments are. Uh, There's no context. And then the scenes, it takes him, like, three days to get to her. Like, it is the longest... Yeah, and it's, it's so over the top, like, campy, like, sitcom. It feels like a really bad like set up in a sitcom you know like picture that as kramer running to stop jerry from like (laughs) putting the letter in the mailbox or you know like it's it's just this rehashed really bad nothing new and again completely and it doesn't even add anything to the the only thing it introduces is a little bit of tension between her and marco and also also it but it also stands to reason that it makes her look even worse because just before that she was thinking about Noah and how they're going to, how she needs to give him some space, but they still love each other and all that kind of stuff. This is the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. It follows on, obviously, from the first film very closely. And then, so she's t- hung up on Noah and really loves him. And then immediately this scene happened. And I was like, I mean, would you really? And I, on the on the riffing, I totally agree with you. It, it felt like the, uh, di- it felt like the director basically asked Joey King, just, you know, improv, improv, 
and we'll pick and choose, you know, three or four of the best ones. And they and it just felt like the director basically listened to it and was like, oh no, we can't get rid of any of it. This is yeah. gold. People are going to love this and just hasn't heard of like tight editing or restraint. And was just like, let's just, let's put it all in. Like when you see on the um, the blooper reels for like the Will Ferrell films and that when right. they're all riffing and that and but they don't use all of them. They pick one of them. And um, on on gag reels, this film seemingly seems like it was made just to include the gag reel at the end, which seemed like the most forced bloody gag reel I've ever seen. It really wound me up. I was watching it and I was like, all of these bloopers feel like they were purposely done so they could have a blooper reel at the end of it. And it and it, I'm getting irrationally annoyed now. I can feel if anyone, if you were all lucky enough to see me, my hands are flying everywhere <laughs> at this because it's just. And I know these films are meant to be a lot of fun, and if <laughs> probably a bit late for this, but people out there, there are there will be people who, who really dig this film, sure. and more power to you. We always say it's all subjective. I, on this occasion, I didn't like this film, but and I know this film isn't meant to be. You know, lauded as a great. It's meant to be a fun, light-hearted uh, rom-com, coming-of-age type film. But it's, it's just awful. It's just really bad, and it's just nonsensical. It's just written really badly. And I know we're going to get onto more stories pertaining to the kissing booth later on. But it, there's a, there's a. I know you wanted to mention the, the narration, so I'll leave that to you. The kissing booth. If, again, if you want to yeah. see about the kissing booth. Don't worry, don't, don't even bother thinking about The Kissing Booth in this film. <laughs> we'll call the film The Kissing Booth too, but let's not worry about an actual kissing booth, really. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think of anything I liked about this film. Uh, it starts off really, the colour grain when you start off is so bright, it's unreal. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what I like. I mean, everyone dresses odd. Hey, the the party, the Halloween party looked like a great party, looked like a lot of fun. Uh, the way Lee treats his girlfriend is appalling, but it's played off almost for laughs, and it does nobody any favors. Uh, John, take over before I carry yeah, on. Yeah. Um. So the you, <laughs> you mentioned narration. Um. It, it's long been a debate in film. Like when we write in literature, we often have a character narrate because it it allows us to have internal monologues and and know what a character is thinking. Um. I have mm. argued that. If I had not read The Hunger Games, um, I would have very little attachment to the love triangle that is set up in The Hunger Games. Because in the book, okay. you know what she's feeling towards Gabe and Peta because mm-hmm. you hear her thoughts. Which in the movie, you get a blank-faced Jennifer Lawrence and you have no clue what the hell she's feeling. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the it's been debated for forever. Is narration good in film or is it a crutch? Sometimes I think it adds something to the film. Most of the time it fills in exposition that you should be able to infer Um, a better filmmaker. Maybe you could visually tell it better, maybe a little bit better writing um, or maybe just having trust in your audience that they're not morons. And I think that last statement is what applies to this one is that the narration here is simply (laughs) the, the filmmaker and the writer not thinking we're smart enough to follow what's happening without L's commentary. It it's sometimes used for humor it's not good humor. Um, it very rarely adds anything because we can see because Joey King's an expressive actress. We can tell what she's feeling. Yeah. We don't need her inner thoughts like, oh, no, this is so bad. Um, and again, it's a stylistic thing. <laughs> it, it is um, it is attempt, I think, at hitting the young adult 
uh, demographic. And I think it's if this yeah. were framed as this was like her diary or something, the narration would make sense. It it doesn't yeah. make sense here, um, especially because we do cut to other people and their experiences. Like we are with Noah and his the other girl whose name I don't remember. Um, at times, Chloe, Chloe, we're with them aside from Elle. So it's not like Elle is our only entry point. So her narration is weird because we are seeing the world in ways she can't. And so having her just yeah. come over as voiceover and not having any other characters voiceover um, is problematic in that way. And also, again, it's it's a bit of a crutch. Um, it just feels like we don't think our story's clear enough without this or this scene won't have a laugh if we don't put something here and it's like, well, then write better because it's not good either. Like, it's still weak and it's bad. And again, this is fluff. So like like Matt has said, every film is subjective. There are genuinely bad things here, though, like bad habits um, with writing and the narration. Again, um, one of the most iconic sci-fi films of all time is Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. The original two cuts have voiceover. I prefer the voiceover in those movies because I don't feel like it was clear what was happening without the voiceover. Um, that's my opinion. And it's some people disagree, including the director who, you know, the director's cut removes the narration. Me. But <laughs> look at Shawshank million dollar baby. The, the connective tissue there is Morgan Freeman, but some work. Sure. Yeah. And some work again, it depends on when you're doing it. Like Morgan Freeman and Shawshank, most of the time he's just adding in to story. Yeah. It's not, it's not um, cut away to a joke or it's not even like detailed exposition. exposition. It's more how I like, got here. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like transitional. Yeah. It's like uh, Andy Dufresne did this or whatever. Um, and it feels like it, well, it's based on a book and it feels like a, like the reading of a book, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And so it works in that way. Um, I don't feel like that works here. I, I don't know if Kissing Booth is based off of it a is, book. It's based off a book series. It, okay. Yeah. Well, I haven't man, read it. Uh, series is a scary word. I have not either. Um, and I, I wonder if maybe some of the fandom that exists is because of the book and they just, they're happy enough with mm -hmm. this. Um, and again, maybe that's the problem. Why it feels so glut, like so, you know, fat with just trimmable content is because they're trying to, put all of a book into two hours and you just can't do that. Like you, you have to let some things go. And um, what I feel like when a movie is uh, fails to trim off the excess from a book is that they don't get why certain storylines work in the book and won't on yeah. film. You know, you have more time with those characters. You're able to spend with them. Um, I wonder if the book is strictly through Elle's perspective, which would make sense with the narration, but it would not make sense with some and of the visual And you can deliver an internal monologue in a book and that doesn't, and it won't feel out of place. Right, right. Uh, it's just the extra text mm -hmm. that isn't in quotation marks. That's what we yeah, expect to happen. Yeah. Where, yeah, in a, in a movie, we generally want to see mm -hmm. what's happening. And again, I'm not always opposed to uh, to narration. Sometimes I think it works really, really well. Um, Scott Pilgrim has tons of weird like voiceover stuff, but that whole movie is full of overlay. You know, like that's part of the aesthetic yeah. of the film is like things are happening outside of the world of the film that we are privy to. Uh, there's nothing here in either of the two movies um, where it really makes sense or feels beneficial to have her voiceover. Um, and so, you know, and again, that is preference, just like everything else we've said. Um, Matt and I, and I guess to be fair, 
this movie is not geared towards us. It is geared towards a younger audience. I would say predominantly a female audience. Um, but what I want to say is that there are better offerings on Netflix than the Kissing mm-hmm. Booth movies. And I would prefer people, you know, branch out and, and check some of those out. For example, the half of it. Yep. Fantastic movie. Um, and that's a Netflix original. Check all it the out. boys it's, I've loved before. So I really, really thought that first film was excellent, and the second one was pretty good too. Yeah, I I don't think I've I've caught the entirety of the second one, but I also really liked mm. the the first one. Um, last I checked, Edge of Seventeen oh, was on check Netflix. It out. That's yeah, not a Netflix original, but still, it's there. If it or at least it was amazing. Your palate. Um, there, uh, and. Um, the Lovebirds, which is I, I would oh, yeah. say, not not an amazing movie, <laughs> but much funnier and very 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 focused compared to this movie. Where like again, it has a weird premise, right? Like they're trying to do this thing, the whole movie, and most of it makes zero sense when you mm-hmm. really scrutinize it. But it's funny along the journey of that one thing. That's the problem with the Kissing Booth. Like one, the movie's called the Kissing Booth, and the Kissing Booth feels like it's like the yeah. 20th storyline like cool, it's it not it something. should be this yeah like you're if you're gonna if the kissing booth is actually going to be a part of the story make it the story and everything should be happening with that as like the driving force behind it and it's not that that's i think a key none of this movie feels like there's a driving force mm-hmm. between what's going on it's just going through day by day and it, maybe that's what real life is like but that's not what story mm-hmm. is supposed to do right like when we tell a story we don't like deviate at least a well-told <laughs> story you don't deviate and jump back and forth between random moments that have nothing to do with each other it's supposed to be you know in some capacity some connectivity some linear idea moving through or i mean there are vignettes and there are movies like slacker where it's not really a cohesive story but each of those moments move to the mm-hmm. next in a unique way like there are ways to do that in, in fantastic outstanding original ways that doesn't feel like kissing booth to me kissing booth to me feels like hey here's another product please like it they're pretty people and they are going to kiss each other and that's that's enough to make this good and it's like mm, no it's not it's not enough to make it good that is that's pretty much it it's, it is very image based like the whole thing even like the way it looked and the way it's shot on the colors and the way people are dressed and everything and then it is made for a contemporary audience. Obviously, they really do show that they love social media and they do love their cell phones um, and they do love a bit of drama and gossip. It's it's very vacuous at times. And I mean, it, to the point where it is, it feels like it feels dumbed down. Like you mentioned, that they didn't think that the audience could relate to these kids unless they like turn up how hip and cool they are, block to the hundred. It just none of it feels real. Uh, and yet, and before anyone shouts out to me, I know it's a film, and I know it's not real life, but none of it feels real or relatable, even to a couple of old timers like us. Mm-hmm. I can't look back at that and think that seems like something that probably really does happen now, because it just seems all over, overblown. It's messy. It's not well written. There's so much going on. Joey King, God damn it, we love you, but please come back in something different uh, soon. Something maybe like bypass your next film and do something after that. Do something a bit better. But um, okay, if if someone said to you, John, I'm bored. It's a Saturday evening. You know, I've got a pizza and I, I want to watch something on Netflix. Would you, And they say The Kissing Booth. Would you recommend it to them at all? 
uh, to watch? I would say no. Um, I guess since this is a sequel, my I guess my question would be, did you like the first one? And if they're like, yeah, I love the first one, I'm like, you're probably going to like this one too. Yeah, uh, it's true. But if you were like me and you didn't like the first one, they did not fix anything. If anything, the second one is worse. So, yeah, yeah, I, I echo that. If you liked the first one, as John said, I totally agree. You're, you're probably going to enjoy this quite a lot, actually, and get a lot from it. Uh, if you didn't like the first one, avoid this, like, well, excuse the term, avoid like the plague. But, uh, yeah, even if you did watch the first one, I'd still say steer clear of this one because it's awful. Um, so with that, shall we move on to chuffed headlines, JB? Yep. And I think I Let's should go first because my uh, I'm going to mix my order up just to kind of tie a little bow on our review of the Kissing Booth uh... 2. They've already filmed the Kissing Booth 3. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, again, usually we don't share our headlines ahead of time, but I couldn't resist but sending this to Matt immediately that not only uh, when the second one ended, I was like, it feels like they might be setting up another one. Um, no spoilers, mm-hmm. but there is a, a, a cliffhanger type, very small cliffhanger type ending. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably the most subtle thing in the movie. Cause it's almost unclear that it's like, uh, um, exactly what's, what she's like stressing about, but apparently they've already filmed the third one and still they're going to make us wait a year, which I'm okay with, but other people oh, might be uh, upset, but yeah, apparently it's already done. So, uh, COVID will not stop the third one from happening. Um, could have been the one good thing COVID did, but no, <laughs> you finally uh, had one job. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, my first headline is that surprise Netflix, the kissing booth three has already been filmed. And I believe that was from, uh, USA today even. So it made that kind of news, but yeah. So, um, and Netflix is touting this as the most streamed movie of the month, I think already, like from the first weekend, um, some, something like that. It, it, it didn't break their records, but it is as expected, their number one movie right now because you know it's people have a fandom of this franchise yeah man. well i mean i haven't got an awful lot to say anyone who's just listened to the last 30 minutes of the bloody awesome movie podcast will will, will know that i haven't got my, many thoughts about this other than why or please don't put us through this again but it isn't based apparently it's not based on a book because there isn't a third book so i'm not sure what they're basing it on if the uh if the author uh, Beth Rickles is going to be on board as a screenwriter. I don't know. Thankfully, I haven't looked too much into it. However, like John said, 2021, uh, this time next year, we'll be dropping our Kissing Booth 3 episode. Probably. And I already can't wait. I can already I already know what's going to happen, which is something about Kissing Booth 2. is It is highly predictable. Mm-hmm. Even, you see things coming from a mile off. And even when you think they've pulled the rug from under your feet, spoiler, they haven't. You still know exactly what's going to happen, and it, it gets to the saturine ending, and to the point where I was wishing that I'm not going to bother with that. But the Kissing Booth three is coming out. I'm over the moon, and I know that John is too. Can you wait a year? Um, yeah, yeah. We could probably go <laughs> ahead and record our episode now, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll just like leave a beep for the names, and we'll just uh, this happened and mm, said this, and I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. No, well, I can't believe they're making a third one uh, because, like you mentioned, a successful book line by the sound of that, and it has got his fans. So, you know, more power to you, and we will be follow. Uh, we will be watching it as well. So, yeah, Kissing Booth Three is coming out. And speaking about threequels, Bill and Ted Three, Bill and Ted Face to Music, we all know it's coming out this year. However, uh, it's now been announced that 
Bill and Ted 3, the Wild Stallions are back, where they're coming back to VOD, premium VOD, and cinemas simultaneously on uh, September the 1st, I believe. Um, Orion Pictures confirmed this. Problem is, of course, how many theatres are going to play it because they know that people are going to watch it at home, so are they going to want to put it up? And I don't know about that, but uh, the film, it was originally supposed to come out on August 21st, then August 28th. It's only been pushed back all in by about 10 days, so it's not the biggest push we've seen because of the pandemic. But the question is, Bill and Ted 3 going to streaming, is this a good move? Would Bill and Ted have been a massive box office smash, which would have made this um, story seem like over, over but ridiculous. Like, what are they doing? They're missing out on $500 million at the box office. Does it make sense to you that they're doing this? Um, it, it makes sense to me. Uh, I will say every year for my film classes, we do a uh, film t-shirt. Um, that's an optional, like nice. they can buy it and they get to wear it. We have like, we have uniforms at our high school. And so there's like uh, on Wednesdays, if you're in a career Academy, which is what my, department is called um you can wear uh your shirt so like if you buy the shirt you get to be out of uniform basically on wednesdays so Mm -hmm. it's like a bonus day um and a few years back i made this design where i had alfred hitchcock's silhouette um and then i had little thought bubbles branching off of his head with uh silhouettes of iconic movie people like so i had like uh the wizard of oz like you know them skipping down the yellow brick road um yep Mary Poppins with her umbrella, uh, you know, these iconic images. And one of them was Bill and Ted sitting on the phone booth. And yes. that was the only one most of my kids had no idea what it was. Um, keeping in mind that Bill and Ted, what, 88, I think, is when Excellent Adventure comes 88 in the early 90s, isn't it? And then Bogus Journey is, yeah. So, um, and all of my students were not born now until like 2002 or whatever. So, you know, um, or 2004 now. Uh, so, um I don't know the pull that Bill and Ted will have on a younger audience for people mm-hmm. our age. I think it's going to have quite a pull and obviously Keanu's still big. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't feel like the marketing has been massive, but partly because I usually get a lot of my marketing from going to the theater and I have not been able yeah. to go to the theater for three months. Um, so, uh, and then obviously in the States, um, they keep saying they're going to reopen theaters, but they keep delaying it because COVID is getting worse, not better here. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it will uh, simultaneously open because I don't know if there will be theaters open. I, I like literally while we're sitting here, I got a, a notification from Regal that Tenet will be opening Memorial Day weekend here in the States. Um, do I want to get a notification when tickets go on sale? I'm just like, yeah. I'm pro- I don't believe you. <laughs> Get a notification if it's actually going to go on bloody sale. Right. When is Memorial Weekend, by the way? Um, it's like the it's the third or the fifth. Uh, it should be that weekend that Bill and Ted come out. I think. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Um, or a little right after that, if it's not that weekend. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like I I'm all in. I want to see this. Um, I will rent it that opening weekend because it's a movie that I care about. Uh. I did, um, because so many of my students didn't know what it was, I taught Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure now twice. Um, and it, it holds up pretty well. I would say uh, a lot of the, my students are go in expecting it to be just completely idiotic. Um, <laughs> and then they all have a lot of fun with it. Uh, they don't always, you know, like the characters feel like caricatures more so. Like they, mm-hmm. they don't even feel like they represent the 80s. They feel like caricatures of the 80s, right? Like they're like 80s extreme. Like what if 80s... Yeah 
to the max. And it's like, oh, if you get these two guys. Or like, what if the Ninja Turtles, but not Turtles? And it's like, oh, Bill and Ted. Okay, it's like Michelangelo <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it's like two Michelangelos, realistically. There isn't anybody else. Um, and it, it, you know, it holds up pretty well. And um, I think partly just because, like, they did such a good job of casting the history, historical figures yeah. to not be iconic faces. Like, they're not people that you recognize from other things. Like, they are... Billy the Kid is Billy the Kid to me. I don't know him from anything else. And uh, Socrates, as they call him, is, <laughs> you know, um, is I don't know him as anything. And he did act in other things, but I, for me, he's only Socrates. Or Socrates. Um, and I think that's part of the reason because they, they watching it, they don't know those actors from anywhere else where they know Keanu Reeves. You know, I'm sorry, uh, Alex, most people don't know you unless they lo- like the Lost Boys. But, yeah. uh, but, I'm a fan. Uh, my students now are fans, but that's, you know, I've only maybe 60 kids who are, are into this. So I hope there is an audience there. Obviously there's going to be a, a bit of an audience because it is still Keanu, but um, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I actually, the new trailer, which I, again, don't normally watch, but I, I couldn't resist because that first trailer wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. I, I liked the new trailer a little more. I thought it was, uh, it felt, it felt more like a story, uh, which I thought was kind of lacking in the first trailer. Yes, uh, I agree. The second trailer was very decent. I'll be interested to know the premium VOD sales compared to how many people like footfall in theatres, even when it does come out. Uh, I think it makes sense because I don't think Bill and Ted is going to be a smash. It's never intended to be a smash hit. I think right. that's make... why it was August release. You know, that's yeah. the, the end yeah. of the summer, the dumping so. ground almost. But I think it will make. I think make decent money. It may make. It may scrape three figures, but. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think the studio uh, or the distributor is gonna take a massive hit from having it on premium VOD. And it's not like they're. It's not like they're chucking it on Netflix for two hundred and fifty million subscribers to watch for seven ninety nine a month. There people having to pay, certainly in the US and they will be over here. People are still having to pay what fifteen pounds twenty dollars to watch it. So you're still paying the same amount. You may just not be getting the multiples of that because I could say to my brother and someone like, come up and watch it. I'll get it. You come up and watch it. They're not making yeah. double the money. They're just getting one. But um, I'm just happy that it's, it's coming out and it's being made. Keanu Reeves, like I said to JB the other day, in the new poster looks horrifically like Severus Snape. And I can't get my head around the fact that he looks like Snape. Alex Winter looks so pleased to be, that this movie is being made. I generally feel so happy for that man. In in the uh, poster, he looks like the, the cat that got that cream so much. They, um, but hey, I, I'm looking forward. To, I'm expecting it to be a good, fun little romp. Uh, and, as, and I just hope it's, you know, on a on a level playing field with those first two, because like you say, they do hold something in the in the nostalgic minds of people our ages and slightly older as well. Because I remember watching that as a kid, uh, obviously death and like I say so, uh, Socrates and when they meet up with all those characters and the wild stallions and the song they're playing at the end and how they're sent off to write that song and save the world. Now their daughters are helping them save the world. So it's a cool little twist there. But you know, I think I think it's a good move, and I'm just glad that it hasn't been pushed back to 2021. But um, so moving on, what was your next headline, big man? Well, it's a good uh, kind of segue because we were talking about box office and the same day digital. Um, and my article is from the AP uh, News, and mm-hmm. it's movie theaters implore studios release the blockbusters. And I do want to read the opening uh, paragraph because I just I love the creative writing from the author. I'll see if I can find his his or her name. Um, but it is uh, 
a long time ago in a pre-COVID universe far, far away, blockbusters open around the globe simultaneously, or nearly so. And we owe that, of course, to Jaws. And uh, Jaws set up the, the, the formula for the summer blockbuster, and more importantly, the wide release. Rather than uh, staggering releases into first big cities and then smaller cities, where the th- and even second and third run theaters, right? Where like mm-hmm. you would get the print later on. Um, something that in uh, in my area has almost completely phased out now. We only yeah. have first run theaters, and then it goes to Blu-ray or digital. Yeah, same here. Um, and I miss that. I lo- I used to love going to the dollar theater. You know, it'd be like if it was at the dollar theater, you knew it was going to be on DVD like in a week or two. But it was your last chance to see it at a big theater. And our dollar theater used to be a mugs and movies, so like there was um, more like table sitting and bars like bar sitting nice. rather than like traditional uh, seats. And they would, uh, there would be a waiter who would come and interrupt the movie. It was horrible, but yet awesome. Um, <laughs> now we have high end versions of that, like Alamo Draft House has notoriously uh, fixed that that system. Um, and I, I have got to go to a couple of the Alamo Draft House shows when I was at South by, and I love that uh, theater franchise. I hope they do not close. But the article is ultimately talking about the uh, discrepancy of theaters across the world. Um, that a lot of places, COVID is under control, like New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And yet Hollywood's not has not re, you know released the blockbusters. Uh, they're they're holding them back, waiting for the U.S. to catch up. And we are if anything, week, wasn't it? right? And so basically, exactly what we were talking about is like, are we going to see a change in that that process? And it it looks like yes, because uh, I know one of your articles is is going to discuss that as well. well. We just mention it now. Yeah, it's tenant. Yeah, let's, right. Tenant is is now saying that um, they're going to start international. And they will slowly release into markets that are open, uh, which, of course, for a movie like Tenet, which is we, we discussed last week, we are very concerned with spoilers being an issue um, because, you know, Twitter. And I was actually just listening to the Slash Filmcast uh, before we started recording, and they were talking about this exact thing uh, that we're talking about right now with Tenet. And that uh, if you listen to that podcast, David Chen and uh, Jeff Kanata are both spoiler averse where like they avoid everything about a movie they don't watch trailers they do Mm -hmm. nothing going into films to the point where like they will cover up their eyes and ears if they're at a movie during the trailers (laughs) because they don't want spoilers um and uh that their big concern is like that basically they've they've have to just accept the fact that tenet's going to be spoiled for them because it's going to be worldwide but or it's not even it's going to be international before it's domestic here for us and um it's you know, it's but I think it's the right thing. It's uh, it seems unfair to punish the countries who did the right <laughs> thing and have COVID under control, especially if theater chains are dying and movie um, and studios aren't making any money. Like, granted, they have a lot of money. But if they if we want if we don't want this art form to either dramatically change or die, um we need them to start releasing the blockbusters so that some money is trickling back into the studios. And again, I think we're going to see some adjustments. I think we're going to see movies maybe get scaled down a little bit. Um, Or maybe we, we do change the blockbuster format format, which Mm -hmm. could be good. Um, It has become kind of a a glut uh, of the summer movies. Like, or used to be, you got maybe one a week. Now we're getting like three or four a week. And most of them are not great in the first place. Um, You know, we, I, I remember a time where it was like three movies. The whole summer was like the expectation. Everything else yeah. was just normal, but there were like three big, big blockbusters. Like and you really out. looked forward to it as well. And now it's like, right. Mm-hmm. It was an event, which is what star Wars had done with their December releases for the last three. Um, 
and that is uh you know i like that i like the event movie um you know where people all get up and go and and we've had that with the marvel cinematic universe as well but um when you know there's two more marvel movies coming out that year it it does take mm-hmm. something away from the event quality of it um but i don't know uh i what do you think should uh should this international or i guess not international so much as should we just release it where we can release it as soon as we can release it um i like the risk of sounding like somebody who's slightly biased because in these inter- i am in a territory where we we stand to benefit and be fair the uk hasn't particularly handled covid well but we are getting to a point where things are opening including uh, th- theaters are already open in the united kingdom they're showing the classics um but i i said last week that i think it would be foolish for hollywood to hold back their films because it will be bad for the industry the movie making industry but for the theaters as well who needs to start making some serious money Tenet is a film which will get people back in cinemas. It will get me back in the cinema. I haven't been yet. As much as I wanted to go and see certain films that have come out, I haven't been back yet. I will go out and watch Tenet in a month's time. So I think it's for the best. And it's being released internationally on the 26th of August. That's the date. And internationally includes United Kingdom, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Australia, Japan, Korea and Russia, amongst others. It's debuting in select US cinemas a week later. So I know that is, uh, and a week is an awful long time in Spoilerverse Twitter, but it is only a week. And I know that sounds very, uh, you know, pat you on the head and off you go. But had it been three, four, five weeks, months different, then that would be, to me, that would be a huge issue. However, it is only a week in terms of when it's being released and international cinema goers will know that pain that of uh, yeah. the states will release a big film first and then a week or so later it will get released in the larger territories and then some other countries uh like brazil and that they don't get these for, for months right. after we, so it we is... know that pain just from scheduling this podcast because there's been movies that we couldn't do yep uh, or it didn't make sense to do because i was going to get it weeks before you were getting it um especially with like Mm -hmm. not not as often with the blockbusters though much more frequently with the like the later like oscar play movies because they'll hold those back like like green book for you came out the year after um green book came out on new year's day got it uh the year later was that 2018 i think um yeah it would have been 2019 it would have been sorry 2018 for you guys 2019 in the united kingdom uh so uh, yeah, JB had to give his thoughts on it. Very, very good thoughts as well. Uh, and I had to wait to give mine. But I, again, it's not me. Had it been, if you twist the arm now and say, right, imagine this is the, imagine this is Star Wars. Imagine this is the rise of Skywalker. United States is going to get it a week before the UK. Suddenly then I'm changing my tune. <laughs> but, um, in really, but, really, but then that would, the, the question, it's a different context. There would be no reason for them to do that. In the context that we have, in the world now that we're living in a pandemic we're living in a strange times when people's health and safety and life is paramount ahead of the the next nolan blockbuster i think releasing it in the territories you can is is good for those guys and us guys and girls because you know we get to experience it there's nothing to say to stop us from going to watch it the theaters are open we're ready but it is only one week later in the united states and I know there'll be people listening there saying, yeah, but I don't want it spoiled. 
it could be worse is all I'm saying. It could be two weeks. It could be a month. It could be indefinitely suspended still. So, um, and that's assuming it comes out in the, on the 3rd of September. But they have said, this has come from Variety, they have uh, stated it is select US cinemas. So whether they are going to make sure they have certain cinemas open to accommodate just this film, I've no idea. But I'm for it because I think practically and realistically it makes sense. Taking away emotion uh, and anything like that, I think it makes sense on a lot of levels. So I think it's a good idea. And I just hope, though, that we haven't got to be having this discussion for many more weeks and months because, you know, we, we all want to be able to watch these blockbusters together. The best part about film fandom is when for people go to watch a film like Tenet and could immediately jump on. And, know, and I know that someone in Australia has seen it, JB's seen it, someone in Italy's seen it, and we can all discuss the film together whether we like it or not. Whereas, that, whereas these next few blockbusters is going to be a little bit different. And you'd hope that people would be sensitive, but let's face it, nobody is, unfortunately. Um, But I think... Oh, sorry. I think it's a good thing. I'm just going to finish there by saying, I think all emotion aside and just thinking practically and realistically, I think it's for the best. Yeah, I think, honestly, the question we should probably be asking is, should more movies be doing what Bill and Ted is doing and doing same-day digital? Now, I don't think Tenet... I think Tenet is an Mm -hmm. event movie, and I think um, it's film maker purposely utilizes the size in his in his movies so i think there's an argument to be made that it needs it needs to at least be given the opportunity to be seen on its intended format mm-hmm. many movies it's not as significant of an issue it, it definitely depends on the filmmaker i don't know what bill and ted's implies maybe they really expected it to be like 3d like imax 3d or something you know but um <laughs> If not, I think that we need to be willing to uh, accept our current circumstances. Um, I know that there was a big backlash. We already talked about it with with Trolls and Universal um, and AMC and then other companies saying mm-hmm. that if you do that, we're not going to play your movies at all. But I think it's also the hat the way they handled that as well between mm-hmm. themselves. But you know, AMC great. has a digital distribution, even though I don't think anybody's using that to rent their movies. Um, <laughs> you know, there's got to be a way we can make this uh, feasible that the content that's existing is seen as soon as possible, especially since mm-hmm. it's already, it's not like in the old days where the, they would have to take the film and then convert it to digital. Most of these are, are, are DCPs anyways. Um, yeah. And so they're, they're ready to go digital. It's just a matter of, of making it um, available. And so, you know, if, the, and I'm sure there's some, you know, formatting things that have to be changed or whatever, but um it's there and again if you're if you're a studio sitting here with not making any money and more importantly people going stir crazy with nothing to do you know i mean granted Mm -hmm. we watch a lot of movies matt and there are still thousands we've never seen um those exist and we can watch those right now so it's like we don't necessarily need a new movie to come out because there's so many movies that we've not seen that are worth watching mind you so i'm not even talking about like there's those B movies from studios we've never heard of by filmmakers. We don't know. <laughs> I'm talking about like movies that people have sworn by. I've seen all of the Sharknados except for maybe the last two. See? Um, but you know, there's a lot of Hitchcock films I've never seen. I've never seen a single yeah. um, uh, Terrence Malick film. Um, I have tons of <laughs> De Palma movies to watch and uh, Oliver Stone and um, I'm forgetting uh, uh, David Lynch. I've only seen like three of his films. Yeah. You know, so there's. 
plenty of content. So it's hard to make an argument that all the content that's sitting right now and not being released should just be released because we want it. But at the same time, um, you know, people who make it generally want it to be seen. And yes, they want to make mm-hmm. their money back and they need to make their money back so they can get to make their next movie. Um, but right now, we don't know if that is going to happen anytime soon. We don't know what that's going to look like. And uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's all this content that's just now like stockpiling. Some of it will hold up if we wait a year, if we wait two years, but other content like won't, it'll lose context. You know, like it makes more yeah. sense to release it now. So I think it just needs to yeah. be open to the possibilities. Yeah, and these are extraordinary circumstances. So when these studios are, are forecasting their budgets for the year and their projected uh, returns from these films, throw those out the window now. Yes, they want to make their money back somehow, and they and pretty much all the studios are going to uh, probably call it a loss this year, uh, coming uh, coming a lot worse off than they thought they were going to be. But if they can claw back some money, and again, yes. Putting Tenet on, like I agree with you, putting Tenet on VOD for $20 um, a screening isn't going to work because you because people will just bundle around. And rather than rather than the studio making $200 for, from everyone seeing it, they're going to make 20 And they're going to make a tiny fraction of what it is. But there are some films which, which you know, the, the studio it will take a hit, but it will be less sizable. And Bill and Ted 3 is a great example of that. And uh, the next story I have potentially could have been an example of that and uh it's just the story is all about halloween kills which was due to come out this year it's now been bumped back to next year but uh the headline is the the working title hints at the story of the sequel now i liked 2018's halloween i thought it's pretty good mm-hmm. very derivative of course of the carpenter original but um i i enjoyed it for what it was it has some decent uh, angles to it. it has some podcasters in it they were quite annoying though <laughs> but halloween kills the, the the sequel i was i mean i like you know i like my horror film so i was excited for this film anyway but i was hoping they'd do something a little bit different from the try the tried and tested formula of uh one person or two or three people are getting hunt, hunted by a slasher of some sort but uh david gordon green who directed halloween and is going to be directing this new trilogy he's come out and actually given a little bit of uh uh, context to what this film's going to be about. And he said, and I quote, if the first film was somewhat retelling the origin of Michael Myers and getting us up to speed with where Laurie has been all these years, then part two is about the outrage of Haddonfield. Mob Rules was our working title for the film. Oh. Mob Rules. It's about a community that is united by outrage and divided in how to deal with evil. So what that says to me, is it's not just Laurie Strode and her daughter and her granddaughter who are going to team up to face Michael Myers. It's the entirety of Haddonfield has seen this evil and has and wants to stamp it out. Mob rules. Are we going to get like a purge type thing here where people are just out on the streets looking for Mike Myers? Will it suddenly um, descend into chaos, anarchy? Who knows? But it sounds like Haddonfield's going to uh, take uh, matters into their own hands. But So that, I thought that was a... Uh, a decent spin and I hope that this film is going to be is going to be decent and hopefully it expands on what the first film did and isn't just a horror by by numbers but hearing that was quite exciting and I'm talking about VOD films this the first film made a very decent uh, 255 million dollars at the box office Halloween kills though so first the first question for you is does that synopsis make you at all excited for the film 
But this has been pushed back now to October 15th, 2021, rather than, I think, the same date, 2020. $255 million, the first film made. Would Halloween Kills be a prime candidate for a VOD release? Could they have just not pushed it back and just dumped it on VOD and potentially select cinemas as well? I mean, I definitely think uh, there's an audience who would want that. Um, but I don't know. There is something about Halloween that feels like an event movie. Um, you know, people mm-hmm. love Mike Myers as a character. And when uh, I, I went opening night, like a late show too, I think we went to like a 10 or 10 or 12 o'clock show on a Thursday. Nice. And um, I brought my daughter because, you know, she was my movie buddy. She's kind of mm-hmm. given up on that, which right now, I mean, there's no theaters, but um, and my uh, editor, David, we all, we went and it was packed. Like there were no empty seats at our theater. And, oh, same here. And that was, again, it was a Thursday night late show. And I go to a lot of Thursday night screenings and I'll, most of the time they're, they're mostly empty. You know, there's a crowd, there's like 10 or 12 people who go every time. Um, but this was packed. And to me that, that qualifies as an event film. Like I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think you have such an iconic character now the big thing was that it was the return. And I think Jamie uh, Lee Curtis being in Halloween definitely brought a lot of those people out because it was like re- real return. Like this was, it was the, the reboot uh, re what is it? Reboot. And what's the other term? The retcon. I basically yes. ignored the events of anything after the first film, essentially. Right. And so there was excitement there. There's been a, a distance. This is going to be a sequel. So now you're, you're wondering were people into that movie enough that they would come back out for the sequel in that same uh, force? Will they, you know, flock to the theaters again? And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they would have, if COVID never happened, like, I don't know if it would be, if we would see that same drive to go see the second one or not. I, I liked uh, Halloween, but I also had, you know, some of the things about it. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And I kind of haven't really had a, a second thought about it since I saw it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think it probably would do very well VOD again, especially right now. I think people would be willing to watch it, but having to wait a year, yeah, maybe. Um, may, it, you know, it maybe it'll hype them up a little more. Like, I feel like people are even more hyped to see A Quiet Place Two now uh, that we've had to wait. And then again, yeah, yeah. it feels like no one's talking about the fact that we didn't get to see it because <laughs> there was a lot of hype for it when it was about to come out, and then it was just like gone uh yeah i I agree i think it will come 2021 come january february time when touch wood no bash bash we are in a more stable situation where theaters are uh, more theaters are open we get a steady stream of films released i think then when the movie going experience is becoming the norm again that buzz is going to go straight back up again and to a lot of films on your point there, being pushed back a year will increase the hype when it comes to it because there will be that hunger to see these films. I'm, you know, I'm, I can't wait to see a quiet place too for various reasons. I'm looking forward to seeing Halloween Kills because I love these kind of horror films. But so, um, am I excited enough that a year has really bummed me out? Not really, because had they dropped it on VOD and select theaters, I, th- yeah, I would have done me as well. But um. You know, I agree with your point about the event film for the first one. So, so um, before we move on, I know we should. We've been in headlines for a while, but um, I just got a headline on my phone that is relevant. We actually just talked about it. Apparently, AMC and Universal have struck a new deal 
shortening the uh, the time of movie has to be in theaters before it can go to VOD. Um, wow, because it was three months, wasn't it? I think, yeah, I think it was like a 90-day window. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they fixed that. Yeah, it was ex- uh, 90 days was the exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find what the... Oh, um, as part of the deal, Universal and Focus Features must play movies and cinemas for at least three weekends or 17 days before releasing those films on premium video on wow. the main platform. So went from three months um, or 90 days to That's 17 yeah, so huge change. Uh, so we might be seeing this more and more. Wow. Um, and that, that's a deal with Universal and Focus Features, and it says explicitly AMC. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's going to um, – if other theaters will just fall in line, like follow the big guys, or if no other theater cared before and it was only AMC that was preventing it from going same day. Is that a temporary thing? Because that could also be potentially damaging if – when you know, Universal d- releases a big old, big old blockbuster. Three weeks later, I can just watch it at home. I, it doesn't say if it's temporary or not, or at least I'm not going to sit and read the whole thing right now because I don't, I don't want to just sit in silence while I'm trying to find everything. But um, I will say that I would be surprised if we see, you know, if theaters return to normal, right? If like mm-hmm. if COVID's beaten and suddenly everything's open like it used to be, if a movie's doing well in the box office, I don't see them putting it on digital. I think that will become a, this movie's not doing well, let's go ahead and dump it onto digital. Um, (laughs) Which, in the old days, that was the second and third run theaters, right? Like, three weeks Mm -hmm. would go by, the movie's not doing well, it would dump into the lower theater, that's only a couple bucks. We don't need that anymore, because we have the ability to click our fingers and there's our movie right in front of us. You know, we don't have to leave the house anymore. We don't have to go to Blockbuster and deal with, you know... uh, people anymore we can just literally i do do so much but i'm just saying like (laughs) it's it's to the point where you don't even have to like because pay-per-view has been a thing for a long time but you used to have to like call pay-per-view and like sit on hold forever and then eventually it became on your controller but even that never seemed to work right for mine like it would always glitch out and i'd have to call anyways (laughs) but now it's literally like i can click two buttons on my computer and i can watch it on any of a billion devices in a few seconds you know um if this was the the natural course, I still think you're going to have your event movies. What I do think, though, is that for indie films that sometimes we would have to wait months to get to see because like it wouldn't come to a theater near us, we're going to have a lot quicker access to. And I'm I'm in for that, you know. Yep. Um. On the on the on the top level, it's it's a good idea. Again, considering the times we live in, it's yeah. good to see a bit of common sense prevailing. So whether or not that continues, common sense and that 17 day rule. We'll have to wait and see, but that's an interesting, interesting thing to end off with. And like JB said, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is our media consumption segment. And basically, it's a chance for me and JB to share uh, what we've been consuming, whether that be movies, TVs, TVs, TV, video games, podcasts, which aren't ours, and anything else that we've consumed that to pass the time. Books, maybe. So, uh, John, what have you been consuming in the last week? Well, after your recommendation, I listened to the first season of the Blockbuster podcast, um, which is a like radio show style podcast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where they have voice actors doing things. I know you know, but for the listener, uh, and the first season covers George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and John Williams. And I don't think that's in the headline enough. I feel like they kind of bury that a little bit, but John Williams element of that made me cry several times. Um, I had no clue about some of the details with John Williams and, uh, his life where I knew a lot of the Spielberg and Lucas stuff, but I had chills most of the time I was listening to it because I care 
way too much about this stuff. Like movies mean so much to me. And um, I, I, I really enjoy the podcast. I ended up, um, I actually paid the $10 for season two, even though I am not a James Cameron fan and I've not listened to the episodes yet. Um, I they still know a lot about his career. Uh, I'm sure they are. So I went ahead and paid 10 to support their podcast. Um, and they give you a lot of stuff for the 10. Um, cause you get like the full versions of the episode without the ads and, um, higher quality audio. And they give you like behind the scenes stuff. And I think they, they give you the, the, some of the music, um, that is scored for the, the podcast as well. But, um, I'm a fan. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see who's next after Cameron. Uh, um, I hope they keep going. I'm trying to think who it could be from that kind of the, from the seventies, um, New hot new age of Hollywood gang. Fra- oh, I mean, there's Fran de Palma, Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola. I don't know. There's so many. I mean, I'll, you could do if they just stayed with that that brat pack of uh, new directors from the seventies. Um, they would have an infinite number. But I mean, they could go into the nineties. New Tarantino, yeah. Kevin Smith. Uh, you could go into Edgar Wright. You could do Wes Anderson. I mean, there's so many they could pull from. I I'm down to listen. Um, I hope it's a continuing thing. I hope they keep making them. I, it, are are they always going to be six episodes? I I don't know. I six, episode six just dropped for Cameron. I don't know if that was the last one. Or I not. think this one's got more. I think I thought Cameron was a ten. I think or certainly longer. Okay. I know that, and um, I hope they do it as well because I mean it took a it took a year or so for between um series one or season one season two to release because as you've now heard, it's probably quite. It takes. It's going to take an awful mm-hmm. lot of work behind the scenes for to sure. get this made, and it is quality in terms of how you listen. I'm really glad you enjoy it because. Um, I'm one of those people like you that when you recommend something and I and I did you know recommend this very highly you do kind of wonder what if the other person thinks it's rubbish but I'm really yeah. glad to hear you dig it um, and actually I uh, one of my good uh, history friends that I, I get a lot of my political content I um, recommended her the, uh, the season one and she powered through it also and loved it so you got two listeners from from you man um, so that podcast owes us for this. Right. Um, and then uh, I've been playing The Last of Us Part 2, um, mostly having a great time, uh, sometimes getting very stressed out um, because I do that with these type of games. But uh, it, it's there is still like Resident Evil is always the game, especially like the first couple of Resident Evil games where there are parts where like you can literally put yourself in a situation where you can't beat it because you've, you've wasted ammunition or whatever. Yep. Um, <laughs> Last of Us Part 2. And Last of Us, I think th- one. I am playing one difficulty down to because I just I don't need the extra stress. I want to enjoy the game. Yeah. Um. And I do feel like it. I could probably be playing on normal and be doing better that or not d- better, but being just fine because I'm like there are times now where I I have too much stuff where I'm like, well, I can't even pick this up. Like yeah. I, it's it's too easy. But uh, but then suddenly a, a, an event will happen where I all I, all of my supplies are exhausted. I'm like, well, never mind. Like, <laughs> I'll take um, a hit but, on this one. Right, I do. I, I'm very much enjoying that game. It's pretty much all I'm playing though um, until I beat it. And then I've watched a few movies. Um, uh, I can talk about a couple of them. And I had I left several off because I'm under embargo for a few. Yeah. Um, that is, I have more time for screeners right now because there's nothing else coming out. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll watch more of these. Um, but I watched a movie called its original title was Target Number One, but it has been changed to Most Wanted, mm-hmm. um, which is. I actually think Target Number One, while not a good name, is a more unique name than most wanted. There's most a lot wanted of movies. Sounds very Netflix, yeah. right? And it, it's, uh, but it's actually surprisingly really good. Now, I am a, a big fan of movies about journalists, so mm-hmm. uh, that 
is a caveat here. But um, it stars Josh Hartnett, who I am not a fan of. And I honestly haven't seen a lot of his movies. But in my head, I just kind of thought of him as like, you know, one trick pony sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and he's really good in this movie. Um, he's playing the reporter. It is a Canadian reporter, uh, which is the second Canadian journalist movie I've seen this year. Um, I don't remember the name of the other one. It wasn't very good. This one is very good. And um, uh, I definitely, it is out on VOD now. So I, I say, check it out. Uh, Most Wanted, Josh Hartnett it introduces um, a new actor named, um, he's a French Canadian actor. I'm trying to get his name. I'm sorry. Um, where is he? Uh, Antoine Olivier uh, Pylon. Um, he's really good in this movie. And then Jim Gaffigan, uh, a comedian who I generally like, he's playing very against type in this movie and he's, he kind of crushes it. Um, I gotta say, I was, I was impressed with him in this. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I watched this great documentary and again, much like, uh, this, this one hits that button for me with journalism. This documentary hits it with, uh, education. It's called river city Drumbeat, Um, and it is, uh, it'll be on VOD on August 7th. And, uh, from what I've gathered, I am not under embargo, though, even though it doesn't come out um, till then. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and just say I love this doc. Uh, it clicked very hard for me. Um, and it, again, it's because it is about like it's about art and education, which always really ring true for me as mm-hmm. a film teacher. Um, so keep that in mind going in. If if that those two things, maybe you're like, oh, education's stupid. Well, OK, uh, go for it. Um but uh, generally, it's it's a feel good documentary. The people in it are really good. It, it hits uh, on a lot of topics that are very relevant right now, um, and so I think worth uh, your time. And then um, Corey and I, for the Movie Club podcast, watched uh, the Joseph Gordon Levitt starring film uh, Seventy Five Hundred on Amazon Prime. Yep, um, and uh, it's it's a pretty solid movie. It's I don't think it's the best film, but it's it's good. Um, our episode of movie club is out for that. And then lastly, this today, uh, just a few hours ago, I watched first cow. Nice. Um, have you seen it? Nope. But I remember we were going to uh, deal with it on an earlier show before all yeah. of this came up about. Yeah. Um, I, I made myself watch it today so I could listen to the episode of slash film that came out today about this movie. Um, but it's also my first Kelly Reichert record film. Yep. Um, and she's a director that I've heard great things about, and I'm going to be kind of diving into some of her other films. Um, Certain Women and Night Moves, I think, are both available on streaming. And she seems to work with Aaliyah Shawkat quite a bit, and I'm a fan of her. So, uh, But I like First Cow. Um, it's, I, I gotta, I'll be honest, it was a little long for my taste today. I think I was kind of anxious, and I probably shouldn't have jumped into a movie that's a little slower paced mm-hmm. and um, purposely so, but it, it's very, very well made. Uh, it's an A24 film, and it follows a weird trend that we've seen in A24 films as of late. That is in four by three. Yep. Um, I don't. I don't. Some of the movies I kind of get why I don't. I didn't feel like it was necessary for this one to be in four by three, other than maybe she just wanted to do that. Maybe she always does that. I don't have any frame of reference of her film style, so. Um, but it, it didn't bother me. But I was like, oh, okay. Um, again, huh? It's like it's becoming a little bit of a trademark of A24. It seems to have the movies that that do this, um, and not have a specific reason. Like I thought a ghost story, it made sense. I felt like it, it just worked in that realm. And I, I, the lighthouse, okay, um, I, I think it works there. 
uh, and it works here. It doesn't hurt anything. It's just it also didn't feel. It felt like just like one of those trendy choices rather than a a purposeful choice. You mm-hmm. know, it's like oh, artsy films are doing this now, so I will do this. And it's like okay, cool. Yeah, um, but it overall, come too much of a fad. I it, I mean, apparently a twenty four. It is uh, like I almost think that's how the pitches start. Okay, so we're gonna film it in four by three. It's like oh yes, excellent. You can imagine, um, like, so this one's in sixteen by nine. Get out. <laughs> but i uh i liked it so it's worth renting um i kind of wish i'd bought it uh but i did just rent it on voodoo um or a- amazon or itunes or wherever you want to rent your movies i get mine from voodoo they don't pay me but um what about you what have you been consuming um well that's a nice diverse list of films actually so i do want to check out first cow soon um for me in terms of podcasts i've been listening to a couple this week because um I, as i say i dip in and out I've been listening to Nightmare on Film Street. It's a horror movie podcast. Um, and it's like a horror chat show where they just pit films against each other, dive into them, half an episode on each, and very decent. If you like horror, absolutely check it out. I, I do enjoy their shows when I get around to listening. And um, on a Star Wars theme, I listened to Rebel Force Radio for the first time in about a year because my Star Wars Sessions co-host, Lukey Boy, said, I basically go back to listen to them again because he really likes them. So, and I know they've had a few controversies off air. Maybe that pushed me away a bit, but listen, listen back, had a good time. So, uh, horror film, Star Wars podcasts, that's what I've been listening to, um, in and out. And in terms of movies, I haven't been playing any games. So, in terms of movies, um, I'll be watching mostly show based, but I have, have finally had some time to sit down and watch the films I want to watch. But in terms of shows, I watched Incident in a Ghostland, which we're covering on Death by Pod which was a Pascal Logier film from a couple of years ago, um, which was, okay, he's the guy who directed Martyrs, the original 2008 French, like, messed up, scarred me for a long time horror film. Um, so Incident in the Ghostland was a bit different, and uh, I think I enjoyed it. I liked a lot about it, but there are things I have issues with. It's not anywhere near to the level of Martyrs in terms of psychologically and impactful. Um, the Dark Knight... Listen, uh, doing that for the background this week. Always happy to go back and watch The Dark Knight again. Uh, a, a very good film in its own right, which then has Heath Ledger come in and just elevate it to an, another level because he is so good in it. Yeah. And um, Million Dollar Baby for the retrospective episode that dropped this week. Rewatch that. And again, as JB knows, it's in my top five films of all time, Million Dollar Baby. And I, and again, rewatching it, I was like, this is just incredible. Every time the moment, the big moment in it gets me every time, and that the the switch up to, in the second half is just it's powerful stuff, and everything about it for me works. A million dollar baby, though it's too downbeat for some. For me, it's just a wonderful piece of filmmaking, which doesn't get spoken about enough for a, a best picture winner, best actress winner, best supporting actor, best director, uh, Oscar winning film. Doesn't get spoken about nearly enough. And um, also watched Sorcerer. William Freakin's 1977, uh, again, a film that's not spoken about enough. A fantastic film, a fantastic film from the late 70s, but it came out, unfortunately, about a month after Star Wars, so it got completely swallowed up in that. But it stars Roy Scheider, and it's a play on The Grapes of Wrath for a film from, what, the 50s or whatever. So Sorcerer, great film. If anyone hasn't seen it, wonderful film with some brilliant set pieces in. Uh, and I also watched, rewatched The French Connection as well. Had a good time uh, rewatching that, and I also and I watched Nightmare on Elm Street four as well. I posted on Twitter, dream 
the Dream Master. Just because you only just feel like in the mood for watching a crap horror film. That is why I put it on. And I, was, and I was watching it thinking, this is crap. But I had a great time watching it when Freddy just eats people's faces on pizza. It's like, yep, this is this is where Freddy's come to now. Is he's like gurning on a beach in sunglasses. But hell, every now and then you need to watch something crap like Nightmare on Elm Street 4 or The Kissing Booth 2 to realise that everything isn't quite so bad outside of film. So um, <laughs> that's what I've been consuming. Basically, a lot of films... Uh, and some screeners again, which I'm under embargo, and a couple of podcasts just to kind of relax and find a bit more time to chill out in these strange times. But speaking about that, it's hard being bloody awesome. John is like the the beacon of bloody awesome, and I am the zenith as well. But it is tough. And speaking about sort of recharging the batteries and staying at those levels, what have you been doing, my man, in the last week to stay bloody awesome? Well, last week, um, I, I practiced magic, the social distancing gathering, um, <laughs> it's a and, uh, so before COVID, um, I had a friend group that every Friday night we would have dinner and then we would play magic. Nice. Um, and, uh, we have a local game shop that is awesome. And, um, uh, you know, we love supporting them. We haven't seen each other in person, uh, basically since March. I think we, we literally, the Friday, the last Friday we played, when we got to the shop to start playing cards, we got a phone call, um, like voicemail message. Our school sends out like voicemail messages mm-hmm. um, telling us that school is closed the following week. And that was the last time we saw each other. Um, and uh, we usually have anywhere from uh, three of us to about seven, I think, at most, like that are in the group. And some, you know, three of us are consistent and the others come and go. And um, so the three consistent ones uh, that, you know, we, we met up for lunch and then um, we ate outside at the restaurant on, on the patio, which is supposed to be, if you're going to eat at a restaurant, the safest way to eat at a restaurant. Um, and then we went to our card shop where our card shop is, uh, it has a strict Mac mask rule. Um, they are limiting the number of people in the store and they are, they've reduced the number of tables uh, where you can play cards to almost none. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were there right when they opened. So we were able to get a table um, and it's first come first serve, you know, so we hogged the table for about two hours, but we played magic for the first time in person since March. And while it was still a risk and I'm aware uh, it's definitely a risk to be in public right now, we wore masks. We did what we, we thought was responsible and um, it was, it was really great. It was uh, the stress relief I kind of needed, even though, again, it was a risk. Um, I do feel like we took a calculated risk and I think that's kind of where we're at with COVID, especially in the States. Um, Cause there are obviously people who are taking, you know, uncalculated risks or risking themselves, you know, going to parties and going to bars and not wearing masks at all. We, we took a very calculated risk. We went somewhere where the rules were being strictly enforced. Uh, we followed the rules. Um, you know, we washed our hands and everything as well. And, uh, it was great. I, I needed it, man. I, to be completely honest, it was it made me feel a million times better than I have felt uh, since all of this started. So, it's it's funny uh, that you mentioned that because mine is very similar. But it's great to hear you getting out and reconnecting with the buds, and also in the social socially, like you would do before. Because I guess for you and your just mental state, it it it, mm-hmm. it it's uh, what's the word. So, not soothing, but I know in my head, for want of a better term, it's that comfort, that sort of warm blanket of what yeah. it was like before. 
Right, completely. And it looks like you you were also reconnecting. What what did you do? Um, yeah, man. So it's funny that we've both kind of gone for the same thing. Um, basically, whether it's in or out, I this week I went for the first time. I saw again my sessions uh, co-host Lukey Boy. I went round to his house. We did some content for our patrons. Uh, we had and we just hung out. Basically, we had his wife cooked some incredible jerk chicken and rice, uh, which was incredible. Um, we sat down and watched The Phantom Menace. Spoiler for our patrons, but you knew that anyway. Um, and we just did some content. We just had a good time hanging out with, and just talking about things other than a galaxy far, far away. And it's just nice to chill out and hang out. Um, getting on the headset on the PS4 and chatting to a couple of buddies on there as well. And just spending a couple of hours talking about film or talking about just stuff. You know, just generally just either ranting or just talking about stuff to have fun with, basically. And... It's that basically, which is something me and John are going to have to do soon because I see him sometimes playing his game on PlayStation. I'm thinking I'm online as well, and I'm going to put my headset in and I'm going to find you, uh, and you can talk to me whilst you're playing. Damn it! Um, but just very mm-hmm. much that, just reconnecting, just to kind of get out more now, see your buddies or speak to your buddies, um, like you would, like you would do before, like you've been doing, and just it's good for the head, it's good for the heart, it's good for the soul, it's good for the mind, and it's 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 ironic that we've both been doing the same thing uh, in the, in this, in the same weekend. I'm proud of us, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, I, I want everyone to be safe and I want, you know, I want to be safe. Mm-hmm. I am, but, um, one of my friends, uh, questioned me when I, I said that I'd done this and I was like, I guess it's my way of kind of dipping my toe in the water before I get thrown in by the government because mm-hmm. they're making me go back to work. And, um, in some capacity in about a month, unless something changes, which is possible, but, um, and I'm, I want to be back in the classroom desperately. Um, I just don't want to be in a classroom full of COVID. Um, and so, uh, I guess this, that was my, my thought process is like, well, I'm all of us are teachers too, that we're hanging out. So we're all about to go through that. And I think that's kind of where we were all at. It's like, well, they're going to make us be with a bunch of people. We, we have zero control. Why not give ourselves a controlled environment, you know, where we know exactly what's, who's who what we've how we've been living like we're we've all been taking precautions and whatnot um we're all on the same page about the virus it's not like one of us is a denier and we're sitting there like ah no it's fine um so uh yeah that was our thought process and again uh we all really needed it um you know we we were at the restaurant for like an hour and a half again outside but just because that's where we get to really catch up and we're not doing anything else we're just sitting there talking and and eating but like we didn't eat for an hour and a half we talked for like an hour, you know, eight for like twenty minutes, kind mm-hmm. of thing. If, if again, I uh, with obviously you're you're sensible enough to uh, have a controlled environment. But if these, if the place is open for business, then there is no heart. There is no, no nobody should be looked down upon or made to feel bad for you going to use that service. How do you just you know? Again, I mean, if, if, you, if you weren't meant to be going out and you, everyone just bolts around to somebody's house and they're not following procedure, not wearing a mask, or they mm. just shouldn't be there. That's a different story. That's a different story. But if, if you know, if the business is available to open and you uh, and everyone's got a sensible head on them, then I don't see the problem. And uh, and as I've said, and you said, it is, it is Novocaine for the soul. It's great to get out and experience interaction again, social interaction, and also doing something which you and which I love doing, which is either playing games or just, chatting or just or eating chicken so dude i honestly i think it's i think it's gonna be 
in the long run, it will benefit yourself, me and everyone for just doing this as long as everybody stays safe when they're doing it and doesn't, well, let's face it, and isn't a bloody idiot by doing it. But um, that is our episode then for the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast for this week where we recapped the uh, Oscar uh, bait, The Kissing Booth 2. And on next week, we are going for something which we certainly hope is going to be uh, a lot better, and it's She Dies Tomorrow. It's released by Neon, She Dies Tomorrow, which is actually releasing next week as well, and we're under embargo until Monday. So this episode will be out, uh, the episode will be out in good time after that. So uh, if you want to find out more, about the bloody awesome movie podcast and why wouldn't you you can do on social media you can go to twitter at bamp underscore podcast at b-a-m-p underscore podcast john where are we on instagram we're at bloody awesome movie pod and on facebook just search for bloody awesome movie podcast and you uh and we'll pop up on there if you want to find me on social media you can do uh what i watch tonight across twitter instagram and letterbox and head on to whatiwatchnight.co.uk for any reviews uh, and any other podcasts that I do on there. And for yourself, John? Um, I am at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. And I also want to take a second to plug Podchaser. Mm. Um, if you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of podcasts. And Podchaser is a basically a social media platform for podcasts. And uh, we would love for you to go there. Um, Follow Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast on Podchaser and give us a rating and review if you like what we're doing there and anywhere uh, you get your pods. Yep, second that. It's the IMDB of podcasts is how they uh, market themselves. And I agree, we're on there. Our faces are on there. And God damn, do we look good on there. So if you do have a spare 30 seconds in, in your busy lives, do please consider leaving us a good review because it helps us uh, grow and it gives us more engagement with you guys. So we're always happy for that. And with that, as always, from me, I'm going to tell you to stay bloody awesome and keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody.